You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. Good morning. Somebody say, Yay, God. Let me just look at you a minute. Beautiful people. Yeah, how many in here want more? Mm-hmm. Good, half of you. Maybe you were getting your Bibles out. I don't know. Maybe you were looking at something else. How many in here want more? Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, this week I uh, was up here Tuesday. Most of the staff was up here early on. Um, I got here a little late, ended up spending some time in the building Tuesday afternoon, and came in here and just laid on the floor for a little bit by myself, and just thanking God for what he's doing, for what he's done already, for the provision of giving us this place, for people, just thanking him. And I, as I'm sitting there, I begin to have an encounter with him. And I hear him say to me, Andrew, Andrew it's time to reclaim Acts. It was kind of one of those shocking, what? What do you, what do you mean? Reclaim Acts? And as I sat there, just enjoying him and pondering what that meant, I really felt Holy Spirit speaking to me that it's, uh, it's time to get a little more hungry. Hunger's a good thing. Hunger's a good thing. I don't, and the reason why is because I don't want to settle. I don't want to, I don't want to come to a place where I feel like we've gotten breakthrough and then just be settled in the breakthrough. I want to have Holy Spirit speak to me about what the next place in God is. You guys tracking with me? There's, the minute I can explain him and define him, I've reduced him down to my image instead of me being conformed into his. And I don't want to ever be in that place where I think that I understand him. What I want is to be in a place where I'm passionately dissatisfied. Passionate for the things of God, but dissatisfied with the things that I've already learned, already experienced. I'm glad for those things. I don't mean to make light of them, but I want more. And as I'm laying there on the floor, I'm hearing Holy Spirit speak to me, Andrew, just reclaim Acts. It's time to reclaim Acts. And so I just started reading it. And so that's where I want to start with this morning. I'm going to start in Acts chapter 1. And I feel like this might turn into a series. Um, take your Bibles, turn there. I think it might turn into a series. I've entitled this one, The Message of the Kingdom. The Message of the Kingdom. We'll call it part one for today. The message of the kingdom is what you and I have to bring. It's what we call the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ. And when you and I come into agreement and cooperate with the message of the kingdom, it reveals that heaven is available right now. Right now. Come on, is that good news to you? I grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal church, and I would hear things like this, God's doing a new thing. God's doing a new thing. Now, that sounds really great, and that excites me a little bit, but I still haven't grabbed the first thing he's done. 
And I feel like it might be a good idea for us to go back to that. What is the message of the kingdom? Let's go back to that and just start to agree and cooperate with that. Because when we agree and start to cooperate with this, then all of a sudden heaven shows up and people's lives get transformed. I believe this. The message of the kingdom is this, that the kingdom of God is tasteable. That's why David writes and says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's tasteable. It's available. It's right now. You can access it at any point. But it's also experiential. It's also experiential. And we need this. We need to reclaim that, that the gospel, the kingdom, the message of the kingdom is an experience that we can all step into. Because when people have an experience in God, it's impossible to argue away the experience they had. Theology can try all at once. Doctrine can try all at once. But someone with an experience in God is never at the mercy of someone with an argument. The message we have to offer, I think, has been distorted. It's been diluted. It's been taken down to this one thing that says you can be forgiven of sin. That's become the ultimate ambition of the evangelistic message. I think there's more, though. Instead of bringing a manifestation and a demonstration of the Lord Jesus and his kingdom. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. I think I told you that already. I'm going to begin in verse 1, and I want to just look through this a little bit and find out if there's anything in there that we can attach ourselves to, anything we can come back to, kind of a home base, to find out if there's something more that we can grab. To Theophilus, the lover of God, I write to you again, my dear friend, to give you further details about the life of our Lord Jesus and all the things that he did and taught. How many have Bibles? How many have handheld devices where you can highlight? Highlight that. Did and taught. Did and taught. We cannot reduce the message of the kingdom down to taught. There has to be a did, doing, done aspect to it. There has to be. It's not the kingdom if it doesn't have a doing aspect. I'm not talking about working, striving. I'm talking about doing in the sense that we as the people of God begin to bring revelation of what heaven really looks like. Take a risk. Take a step out. Just before he ascended into heaven, he left instructions for the apostles he had chosen by Holy Spirit. After the sufferings of his cross, Jesus appeared alive many times to these same apostles over, 40, over a 40-day period. Jesus proved to them with many convincing signs that he had been resurrected. During these encounters, everybody say encounters, hmm, he taught them the truths of God's kingdom realm. I want you to underline that part too, kingdom realm. This is what we're going to talk about today, the kingdom realm, and shared meals with them. Jesus instructed them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here until you receive the gift I told you about, the gift the Father promised. For John baptized you in water, but in a few days from now you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. When you find the works and the words, mark it down, write it down, so you don't forget they're supposed to happen together. I think as much as anything else, when I hear Holy Spirit saying to me, reclaim Acts, that's what he's saying. That it's not just teaching, it's doing and teaching. The first time Jesus brings up the message of the kingdom, it's in Luke 10, Luke 9, Luke 10, Matthew 10, and he starts saying this, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're all familiar with that passage, right? And we all know what repent means, right? 
Change your mind, change the way you think. So Jesus comes on the scene and he's saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying this, change your perspective on reality because I brought my world with me and it can be tasted, it can be experienced, and it's available right now. Here, we hear Jesus saying, don't leave Jerusalem until you're saturated with until you're engulfed in, until you're absolutely immersed in Holy Spirit. Now, I think this is kind of interesting because do you remember what he said when he ascended? He said, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. But it's almost like he's saying here, wait, don't go. In other words, he says, go, but only when you have power of Holy Spirit. Don't go until you have power of Holy Spirit. When you have power of Holy Spirit, that's when you go. Why? Because it's not about teaching. It's about doing and teaching. Do I have anybody in the room with me this morning? There's something more to it. There's the, there's the doing aspect that is not a striving works, religious uh, treadmill kind of activity. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we get filled with Holy Spirit, it moves us into a position where we have utter reliance on what he's saying and what he's doing. It's, it's like we get filled with Holy Spirit, we start to act like Jesus acted. Where he walked around saying, I don't do anything unless the Father's doing it. I don't say it unless the Father's saying it. Now think about that with me for a moment. If we lived our lives like that, what would it look like? I don't know about for you, but I'm thinking I probably wouldn't open my mouth near as much. That if I really saw myself on co-mission with him, that what I did would no longer be so much about what I want to do. It might be a little bit more inconvenient. You tracking with me? But if the kingdom of God is available now, right now it's available, it's tasteable, then what is it that I need to do in order to see that coming out in my life? Change your perspective on reality because I brought my world with me. It can be tasted, experienced, and it's available right now. The message really hasn't changed. Repent. Change your mind. Change the way you think. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. It's so available. It's so right in front of you. Jesus, at one point, he says it's at hand. Another time, he says it's in you. He talks about Holy Spirit, and he says he has been with you, but he will be in you. How much closer can we get to this? I think the reason why the church avoids the message of both do and teach is because it's much easier to talk about things that can't be experienced because then our credibility is not put on the line. It's much easier to talk about things that can't be experienced because then our credibility is not put on the line. If it's just about me praying for someone and saying, say this prayer with me and you'll go to heaven, then we're not bringing the spiritual realities with it. You've heard me say this before. It's really, it's a travesty, really. You can't find anywhere in the gospel where you pray a prayer and you're saved. You can't find it anywhere in the gospel, but yet we've reduced it down to this one thing. Now, I hope you're tracking with me here. I'm not trying to demean 
praying with someone. It's not the point at all. I'm simply saying we've reduced it down to something where we do a prayer, you can be forgiven, and there is absolutely zero demonstration of the Spirit. Paul said when he came to the church at Corinth, he came and he said, listen, when I came to you, I didn't come with persuasive words of man's wisdom. I came to you with a demonstration of the spirit and of power. That way your faith would not be in the wisdom of man, but would be in the power of God. Do you think that there's something about this kingdom message that needs to see a demonstration of power? If there's anything that sets apart the Christian religion from every other religion on the planet, it's going to be these two things. Resurrection and power. I passed by, I won't say where it was, but I passed by a church, I don't know, a year or two ago, uh, just walking through a downtown area, and I passed by, and the church had these stepping stones out there with different names on them. It had, it was a Christian church, but it had Gandhi, it had Muhammad, it had, uh, I don't know, a few other names, and it had Jesus in there. And I looked at it and was like, what are we doing? I just wanted to shout to whoever was standing there, that one right there that says Jesus Christ, that's the only one that came out of the grave. (laughs) Whatever. That's the only one that came out of the grave right there. That's the only one that came out of the grave and vested us with phenomenal cosmic power. (laughs) Yeah, bitty living space. It just, I, I looked at it and was like, man, this is, this is what we do. It's almost like we've taken the gospel and reduced it down to do good, don't do bad. And the church has taken on that. Do good. Do good. Might I suggest that when we are filled with Holy Spirit power, we don't have to think about doing good. It naturally comes out of us. It will come. I don't have to think I need to go do something good because that's what's inside of us. We've got God who is good inside of us, and he begins to come out of us. I don't need to tell myself to do good. As a matter of fact, the Christian life has been reduced down to good and bad, when I don't think that's the point or the purpose of it at all. When Joshua was bringing them into the promised land, the Israelites bringing them into the promised land, right there when he comes in and he says, all right, now everybody come together. I want to show you what's going on here. Here's what we've got. Now I lay before you... What did he say? Life and death. He didn't say, I lay before you good and bad. We've reduced it down to good and bad when it really is about life and death. He came that we might have good more abundantly, life more abundantly. I believe spiritual realities must be observable in the natural. They must be observable in the natural. What I'm sensing is this move. Let me back up. I believe we've stewarded pretty well what God has given us to go after, specifically when it comes to healing. We do the healing rooms once a month in here. I mean, we have stewarded. We've started with it, and we have not quit. And we won't quit because it's something that God has given us to steward, that we go after healing. He didn't say, pray for the sick. He said, heal the sick. I hope you guys, I hope you're tracking with me here. 
Why is it we reduce prayer down to, if somebody's sick, oh, will you pray for me? Yeah, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. First of all, we say things like that, and then we don't pray for them. If you want to start living on the edge, let me just put it into a reality right here. How many are on some kind of social media? Let me see your hand. Okay, majority of people in here. The next time you're on social media and somebody posts, I need someone to pray for me, I'm sick, I need prayer for X, pray for them right there in the thread. Don't say, I'll pray for you. Praying for you. Praying for you, brother. How about do it right there? Write it out right there. Write it out as a declaration. And once you get that brave, let's move it, let's move it from passivity into action. Well, if it's we, passivity is this when we pray. Well, if it's God will, God's will, let him be healed. Again, why do we do that? It's because we don't want our credibility on the line. If I say be healed right now, and then someone doesn't get healed in that moment. I used to be so afraid of my credibility. I, I really did. I used to be so afraid of it that I would pray things like that. I stopped doing it. And people look at me kind of like, man, that's powerful. That's awesome. It's Jesus inside of me. I just don't think like that anymore. I have zero. Ze- my my give-a-care meter on what people think. Can we say it that way? My give-a-care meter on what people think about me when I pray for someone to be healed. and they don't, I, it's, it's like it doesn't even register. Now, there's other areas in my life I care about my credibility. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying in this area right here, I don't care. I don't care about that anymore. Why? Because there's supposed to be a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And I refuse to build theologies, make theologies, create theologies on why people don't get healed. A number of years ago, back in 07, 08, I don't remember, I heard somebody give a message. The entire message was titled this, 30 Reasons Why People Don't Get Healed. And I could not put it into words in the moment, but there was something inside of me that was just like, no, no, no. That's like saying 30 reasons why people can't get free from addiction. What do I do there? I set them up with reasons why they can stay there. I give reasons. I give license for people to stay in the condition that they're in when I say 30 reasons why you cannot get healed or why people don't get healed. And what I'm doing is I'm taking the onus off of Jesus who has said, I'm willing, who has said, I am healer, who has given us the commission to heal, it's taken the onus off of him and it puts it right back on us where we need to do something in order to get healed. I just don't, I can't go there. We are a people obligated to demonstrate what we say and what we believe. Can you say that with me? We are a people obligated to demonstrate what we say and what we believe. Here in Acts chapter 1, we have the story. It's breaking down. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is resurrected. He now starts to talk again about the kingdom. And take a look at what happens in this passage. We see the kingdom. We see baptism into the Holy Spirit. And we see a demonstration of power. Look at verse 6. So every time they gathered together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is it now time for you for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They're still thinking from a human militaristic standpoint. They're still thinking that the kingdom has to do with governmental power. Can I just go on a bunny path right here for a moment? Thank you very much. I will. (laughs) We are in election season right now. 
please do not give in to the political spirit. I, I, I follow political stuff. I like it. I enjoy it. Did you know the word political, politic, comes from the word? It actually means government. That's what it means. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the of, leaven of Herod. I'll have to get it out right. The leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Why does he say that? The leaven of the Pharisees is a religious spirit. The leaven of Herod is a political spirit. Be careful of it. We don't elect saviors. We have one. Isaiah 9 says, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. If we want to see change in the government, keep in mind, guys, government does not reflect culture. I'm sorry, Government reflects culture. The government we have reflects the culture we live in. We have the government of heaven. We have the message of the kingdom inside of us. And of his kingdom, there is no end. So if we're not seeing advance, where is it stopping? I really do believe this, that we don't need to shift between libertarian and Republican and Democrat. We don't need to think in terms like that. What we need to think of is a kingdom of heaven kind of impartation that comes in and it starts to set minds straight and people can be whatever they want to be. Be whatever, be red, be blue, be green, be orange. I don't care what you want to be. You have the kingdom inside of you. It doesn't matter. Now all of a sudden what his government begins to flow through it. In other words, what I'm saying here, there's not a perfect one. I have an affiliation, but if you have a different affiliation, that's fine. Because the government that I want to see released doesn't land on elected officials. Lands on Jesus, and I have Jesus inside of me. Now, when I begin to release that government, everything changes. Our view on social justice will change. Our view on taking care of the poor, our view on how we deal with addiction, our view on how we deal with homelessness, on how we deal with broken families. Everything will change when we start grabbing heaven's government and bringing it with us. So their concept, they're thinking, when are you going to restore our kingdom? And he's saying, you're still missing the point here. But he goes ahead and answers it. He goes on to say this. He answered, the father is the one who sets the fixed dates and the times of their fulfillment. You are not permitted to know the timing of all that he has prepared by his own authority. But I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be filled with power and you will be my messengers to Jerusalem throughout Judea, the distant provinces, even to the remotest places on earth. You will be filled with power. Now, I remember getting baptized with the Holy Spirit when I was 16 years old. I was at one of those youth camps, and they were praying for people to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I grew up in the church knowing what baptism with the Holy Spirit was, but, and I'm thankful for this. So I'm, I'm going to say a few things here, but please, please, please understand me. doesn't mean I'm not thankful. I'm very thankful for what I was brought up in and the fact that there was an expectancy for more. So I'm at camp. There's people praying, there's ministry time going on, and somebody asked from the front, if anybody wants to receive their prayer language, to be able to pray in tongues, go ahead and come up here, and we're going to pray for you. And all I knew is inside was, I wanted that. I wanted that really, really bad. I wanted it because it was kind of the way I was brought up, but at the same time, there was a resonating inside of my spirit in that moment, right there, in that moment, I knew that this was God speaking to me, and if I 
would make, take the risk and move towards it that I would find it. So I go up there, somebody lays their hands on me, starts praying for me, and immediately I start praying in tongues. Immediately. I didn't have to work up to it. I didn't have to like, you know, just all of a sudden, oh, here it comes out of me. It's just this, this thing that starts. And I'm like, I'm so thankful for that. And since then, I've never lost it. I pray in tongues regularly. But I think we've distorted it a little bit. Because the word doesn't say you will receive tongues when Holy Spirit comes on you. It says you will receive power. Paul talks about the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. He has to address what's going on in the church. Because there's a lot of nonsense happening. The church at Corinth had experience in Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit was operating like crazy within the church, but it was getting really weird. So he had to come in and set some order to it. In 1 Corinthians 14, he says to him, I'm glad that you guys speak in tongues, but I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than any of you guys. But when you come together, I would much rather you prophesy, because how much more can be understood when somebody prophesies? Unless if you're speaking in a tongue, somebody speaks in a tongue, then somebody interprets the tongue, then everybody can be edified by it. He says in that same passage, when someone prays in a tongue, they pray to God and they encourage themselves. How many need to be encouraged? This is why tongues is important. Tongues has a way of doing funny things. I can pray in the understanding and say, God, I want want a Harley soft tail. I can pray that in the natural and I can muster it up, and I can start praying in the Spirit. And then what I'm doing right there is Holy Spirit's correcting my prayer, saying, don't give him that. He's going to kill himself. <laughs> what am I saying? I'm saying the important, it's important that we have tongues because we begin to pray what it's called musterion. The man who speaks in tongues, he prays mysteries unto God, Paul says. The word's musterion. It's an interesting word. It doesn't mean mystery as in it's a mystery and you're never going to know. The word literally means it's a mystery, but it's being brought into light. So the more I pray in tongues, the more my understanding gets enlightened. There's an imp- that's why it's so important that we do that. That when we pray in tongues, it begins to enlighten us on the inside. And so I use that example. I don't really want a Harley soft tail, but I'm just saying, if I pray, God, give me a Harley soft tail, then I start praying in tongues. All of a sudden, he's interpreting it going, don't give him that. He'll kill himself. Here's what he really wants. Keep praying, Andrew, because you're going to find it. And I keep praying in the Spirit, and all of a sudden, I find out what I really want, and I begin to declare those things. Remember what we said at the beginning. If we begin to partner with God, agree with God, all of heaven's going to back us up. It will appear right in front of us. Why? Because it's for now. It's tangible, it's tasteable, it's accessible, it's for right now. So I don't want to demean getting tongues, but I really want to take some time and focus on what it really is talking about. It's about power. The focus of this baptism was an immersion into the power of God where every life experience becomes different. Has anybody ever had that kind of immersion into God, that experience with God, that whatever you look at, You looked at something 10 minutes ago before the immersion with God. 10 minutes later, you look at it and it looked completely different. You know what I'm talking about? This is what we're designed for. It's like we get Holy Spirit lenses put on our eyes. We get Holy Spirit glasses. And when we see things through those right there, they look completely different. I want those. I want those kinds of lenses. I'm learning to grow with it. I'm learning that part of storing what I have gives me those things that I need. I love the story of Smith Wigglesworth when he's sleeping in his bed one night. I think I told this maybe a few weeks ago. He's sleeping in his bed. 
gets waking up by something. He looks over there and he sees a figure in a rocking chair. And it's Satan himself. And here's Smith Wigglesworth. He looks at him and goes, oh, it's just you. And he goes back to bed. I think he had Holy Spirit lenses on. Without that, what do you think we would have done? I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. We get our affectation on and it has a little more power to it, doesn't it? Come on. Come on. Somebody help me. Yeah, I did go there, didn't I? What am I saying here? Do you pray in tongues? Great. Keep doing it until you burst into flames. Keep praying in tongues till you burst into flames. Here's what I want. I want to have, if tongues is what you have when you got baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's great. But let's just keep in mind, reclaiming Acts right here, that the word doesn't say you're going to receive tongues when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. It says you'll receive power. Let's reclaim that right there. Saying you're going to receive tongues is kind of like saying if you go outside when it's raining, you're going to get wet. Yeah, that's part of the deal. The point was not to get wet. The point was to receive power. And if that's what you got was tongues, hallelujah, pass the mustard. That's wonderful. What we need is to pray in tongues till we burst into flames, move into an encounter that takes us into realms that I can't reason with anymore. What am I looking for? I'm, I really feel what God is moving us into is a place where we stop. No, no, that's not right, Andrew. Not where we stop. Where we continue to celebrate what he's given us in the realms of healing. And what do we see regularly? People's pain level will go from an 8, 9, 10 to a 0. We see that regularly. Keep celebrating it. Let's keep celebrating it. That's, that is a norm for our house. Would you agree? It's a norm. I think there's something else. I think there's something more. When I was here on Tuesday, just having that little encounter with God, it didn't last that long, but I was having visions. How many of you know when you have an encounter with God, you can see 10 years worth of stuff in two minutes? I saw a few things happening. I saw tumors. I saw specifically one on somebody's side. Does anybody have anything on their side? Any kind of tumor on their side right now? No? I actually saw it for something that I'm going to be doing in February. That's what I saw at four. But why not ask now, right? Once God reveals it, it's, it's, anybody can grab it. It's free. I'm, this is what I'm looking. I'm looking for this kind of manifestation of power where somebody has a physical abnormality. We pray and it disappears. I've seen it before. I want more. I want more. I don't want... What used to be supernatural to me, and now I look at it as normal, I don't want that to be and stay my normal. I want to move to another position where I'm seeing people get up out of wheelchairs. I'm even personally having this place where I feel Holy Spirit calling me to another level of vulnerability. where I'm not praying with someone who's got a broken ankle. I'm walking up to him and I'm saying, get up. 
Come with me. Walk with me. Now run with me. That will challenge your credibility. That'll put it on the line. Who wants to go with me? <laughs> it's kind of scary. It is. It's kind of scary, but I want, I want this. This is the kind of thing I want. I, I can live by principle and be admired. I can live by encounter and be contagious. I don't want to be admired. I mean, I do. <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> no, really. Really. It's more than that. What I'm looking for, and I've seen it before. I've been in places before in my life where I've been walking in that place with those lenses on, and it's been so clear that in places where I go, things start to happen. I'm prophesying over people. I'm giving words of knowledge, and I don't even know that I'm doing it. It's not like I, ooh, I got a download from God. Let me share you this with you. I'm, I'm talking about moving out of that realm into another realm where it becomes so much of a flow where it's moving out. I don't even know what's going on. I'm talking like I'm just talking normal, and things start coming out. I remember that happening one time, and I, was, I said something. I don't even remember what I said, and the guy right across the table from me said, who told you that? I don't even know what I said. All I know was in that moment, I was so much more aware of what God was doing right there in that little circle than I was aware of the person across from me. But I was still incredibly relatable. Are you guys tracking with me? I think it's moving. This kind of power is moving beyond the, let me pray and get something from God, where we recognize that I am prayer. I have become prayer. And that my interaction with people cannot be interrupted. That prayer cannot be interrupted just because I'm interacting with people. The prayer continues. Mm -hmm. The baptism of Holy Spirit was an entrance point into the kingdom at this point. Before, it had been going on all around them. Now it's going on inside them. It changes our perspective. You have Peter one minute denying Christ three times. And the same person who denied Christ, after he's immersed into this power, he stands up and talks to the same people who threatened to kill him, and he says, you guys killed the creator of the universe. You did it. You killed the creator of the universe. And all this was his plan from the very beginning. To move us from that kind of passivity and fear into that kind of boldness? In Acts chapter 3, we'll get to that later on, but I just have to throw this in right now. In Acts chapter 3, they get to gate beautiful right? Peter and John are going to the temple. They're going up to pray. And there, it, the story says that there was people who took a lame man, a friend of theirs, and put him at Gate Beautiful because he would beg for alms. You guys know the story, right? I think it's, we need to know what, how he got there. His friends bring him there, set him down so he could get food. Peter and John walk up and he's begging and all they're thinking of is what they're carrying. I've got the message of the kingdom inside of me. You want alms? I don't have alms, but what I do have, I'm going to give you. Get up. This is what I'm talking about. We've reduced the power and the message of the kingdom down to somebody come to church with me. We've reduced it down to Acts 3 where people are saying, why don't I bring my friend to church with me? Maybe they'll find something good there. Instead of ourselves saying, I don't have gold. I don't have silver to give you, but what I do have, I'm going to give you. Get up. Get up. 
It's not just the apostolic that has to walk in this. Come on. Come on. There's a reason why Jesus gave us a command to heal the sick. It wasn't given to just the apostles. The apostles are the ones that make a way for it. It's what the apostolic gift does. It makes a way for it. So I want to be a part of doing that, of making a way. So what am I doing this morning? I'm putting my hand in the small of your back. I'm saying, will you come with me? Just come, come on, come with me here because we're moving into something greater. We have to reclaim the book of Acts again. Let's move into this release, this dynamic release of power where miraculous things happen wherever we go. Let's say this and then I'm going to move on. I'm going to make some room for something here. Old Testament. Remember when the Israelites left Egypt? Everybody remember the story, right? They crossed the Red Sea. Then they're into the wilderness. I want to suggest that the picture, because Hebrew says this. I don't need to suggest it. Hebrew says that all the things that were written before were types and shadows of the things to come. And they were only types and shadows, but now we have the real substance. It's in the person of Jesus. He is the exact representation of the Father. All these things were types and shadows. When they got released from Egypt, I'm just going to suggest to you, that's when we got released from the power of Satan. We got baptized by going through the river. Now we're in the wilderness. Water baptism, right? They go through the wilderness, and they come to another body of water. And they can't enter into the promised land until they go through this body of water. Did you know that the Red Sea was still? The Jordan was a river. Water baptism, salvation. Holy Spirit baptism, promised land. John chapter 7, let me bring it together a little more. John chapter 7, Jesus stands up on the Temple Mount the day they were celebrating water coming from the rock. You guys know the story. They're celebrating, and the way they would celebrate it, Feast of Tabernacles, was they would celebrate the water coming from the rock by the priest taking giant jugs of water up onto the temple steps, and they would pour them out, and the water would gush down the temple steps. At that moment, Jesus runs up there, stands up in front of everybody and says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come after me. Out of his innermost being will flow what? Rivers. They go through a still body of water. To get into the promised land, they move through a moving body of water. It says that it stood up as far back as I can't remember the name of the town. It stood up. I'm suggesting there's something powerful about coming back to Holy Spirit baptism. There's something, and I don't know, I used to think that it was you get baptized in the Holy Spirit one time and this is what it does and the rest of your life you're good. I'm not satisfied with that. I want to be baptized all over again. If Ephesians 5 can tell me to, to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit, then I think Holy Spirit baptism is available to me all the time. And every time I go through it, I get to experience it again. I just want more. Here's what changes, too. When they were in the wilderness, they fought battles with swords. The first battle they face when they get into the promised land, it's marching and shouting. Jericho. When they fought in the wilderness, they would send the warriors out first. The mighty men of battle, they would send those guys out first. In the promised land, they send out Judah. Do you know who Judah was? The choir boys. It's not the choir boys. Why am I saying this? It's a different way of fighting. 
It's a completely different way of fighting. How many would rather fight that way? Yeah, Danielle was singing it this morning. This is how we fight our battles. I love that new song. You go, you fight for me, you take the head of my enemy, you bring it back and say, good job. We fight different. All I did was praise. All I did was worship you. All I did was stand still. Yeah, that's how it works. I'm serious, church. I believe, there, I believe there is a dynamic shift coming into the church, and I mean the greater church, where the warring and the striving, we start to see it. It's just a humanistic attempt to get to God. We start to come in and we worship and we praise. We get our minds absolutely 100% fixed on the anchor of our soul. And we worship him and we worship him alone. And while we're doing that, everything just starts getting one around us. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, look, you, you, you say you trust me. If you really trust me, worship. If you really, really trust me, just worship. Why? Because he needs it? No. Because we do. If you really trust me, just worship. What would it look like the next time we come in and we get a bill in the mail that's a surprise and we don't know how to pay it? Or we have an unexpected expense or something happens with a family member that really tilts us off? What if in that moment we don't just say, I trust you, Jesus, you just begin to worship right there? I don't know that I'm there. I want to be there, but, but to move into that place where we start to, I just worship you. Because when I worship you, you go and take off my enemy's head. And you bring it back and say, good job, buddy. But when I get into that fighting, warring, striving kind of place, it's like I look at him and I'm saying, don't worry, I've got it. When he's saying, I promised I'd take care of you in this stuff. Just let me do it. You worship. I believe there are things that can be found when we worship in times like that that cannot be found in any other place. They can't be found when you come into a Sunday morning and begin to worship because you don't need it right then. Hello? It's when you're on your own and you don't have all the stuff around you. You don't have all the people around you. You begin to worship right there. In Zechariah chapter 1, this is the difference. This is prophetic. In Zechariah chapter 1, God speaks to Zechariah, the minor prophet, and he begins to say to him, let me show you these four horses that are coming. Begins to give him a prophetic picture of what's going to come and rain down on the people of Israel. And you know what God's response was? Send out the artists. They may have been blacksmiths. They may have been woodworkers. But that's what he says. You would think that he would, if this is coming, you would send out warriors on horses. But he goes, no, send out the artists. If you really want to take care of it and watch this thing get knocked down, send out the artists. Hmm. I'm thinking that power is what sets a defining standard for the gospel. Paul said it. 
Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed. It's the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this. The message of the cross. Go ahead and come up here, Bobby. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us, it's the power of God. Bobby came in and told a testimony this morning, and I don't think it's by chance that this is what's happening. Come up here. I don't think it's by chance this is happening. But how many of you know when God does something, his Holy Spirit can speak, Right? and speak to multiple people at the same time. Now, I did probably look different. I didn't even ask Bobby this, but share that testimony. This is what I'm talking about. Go ahead. All right, this uh, is kind of started nearly a year ago, really, but a, a young lady that I work with, she had, years ago, had uh, part of her reproductive system removed uh, because of some tumors and things, and then uh, nearly a year ago, they found more of them and, and what they still had or what she still had left in there. And so I, um, I prayed for her and just prayed that, you know, the, all the tumors, and they were benign but causing her a lot of pain. And I prayed that those tumors would, would be removed and that everything would be restored back to the way it was and just blessed her that way. And then we've been talking every now and then, uh, just, you know, checking in on her, see how it's going. And she's been going back to the doctor and incrementally every time she goes, they've been those tumors have been getting smaller and smaller. That's been really great. And she came uh, this past Thursday, and she took me aside, and she had some paperwork that she wanted to show me. And uh, she showed me this paperwork. The, uh, the doctors had reported that all the tumors were completely gone. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. And everything that had been taken out is back. <laughs> yes. Jesus. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Stay up here a second, Bobby. I just want you to hang out. Just hang out up here a second. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Stay standing a second because we're done here with this, but we're going to move into something else. That's what I'm talking about. So she had surgery, and parts were removed. And the parts that were left had tumors. Correct me if I'm wrong here. The parts that were left had tumors that were benign but still painful. You started praying. Those things started to shrink. She goes to the doctor, brings you back. What was it? Like a radiology thing or something? Or just radiology reports. And not only are the tumors gone, but the parts they took out are back. Come on. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.